Very good. Good evening. How are we doing, church? Right on. If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the New Testament. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, and you could even have it on your phone without guilt here, and that would be okay. Um, you know, tonight I, I want to start off our thinking, and, and clearly we're in a teaching series, if you've not been here for a little bit, uh, where we're talking about kind of how to be faithful to Jesus in this digital age. Like the very real thing that we all have phones in our hands or our pockets right now, uh, with this very real reality of the digital age we live in, how, how do we stay faithful to Jesus? And so in order to get us thinking about that a bit tonight, I want to begin with a bit of a history lesson, if you don't mind. Um, and the history lesson should set our uh, framework for the rest of the sermon. So the year was 19, or 19, 1439. 1439, and something wild got invented. You want to know what got invented in 1439? The printing press, all right? Printing press, mind-blowing, absolutely crazy thing. Up until then, every single book that was ever written was written by hand, like over and over and over again. Suddenly, they come out with the printing press, and it changes everything. Like, it was as disruptive as the internet is to our world today, where it's just like, okay, what do we even do with this? And here's what started to happen really quickly with the printing press. The printing press gets invented. Suddenly, books are starting to be published en masse, and it throws Christians for a loop. And again, that might not sound interesting to you, because you're like, how could they be thrown by a loop? Well, here's what happened. Up until that point, the only book you read was the book that was written by hand. So you didn't read many books, but now there's infinite options of books. And so as a Christian, what books am I supposed to read or not read or take serious or not take serious? In fact, many historians look to the printing press as the whole reason there was a Protestant Reformation because they started reading the Bible and they started reading books and all this intellectual sphere got stirred up. So here's what happens. The printing press gets invented in the 1400s and it makes Christians like serious-minded Christ followers, like I hope many of you are, start to ask serious questions about what does this mean for us and how do we interact with this? Let me fast forward a couple hundred years, 500 years to be specific. It's 1927. You know what gets invented in 1927? The television. You want to see what the early television looked like? This looks more like a radio, right? I saw this. I was like, that's a radio. Like, no, that's it. Like, this is the screen. Like, I don't know. Your phone might have a bigger screen than that. Like, like this is the TV. And this is crazy. And Christians start to ask questions. Like, what do we do with this? Like, is watching this moral or immoral? Or if I see things on this screen, is it the same as seeing it in real life? If I watch a story of someone who gets murdered on screen, is that moral or immoral? There were these questions they were asking. And they were asking that question because new technology brings new questions. The year is 1993. Who here was not yet born in 1993? Anyone? Oh, my people. Okay. 1993. It was a glorious year. You know what was invented in 1993? Here we go. Windows 93. This tech, oh yeah, this blew our minds back then. For those of us who were alive in the 90s and like thinking on, on, on the internet, all of you are alive in the 90s, I get that. But most of you, some of you, anyway. But here's where it was. The internet had been around for a while, but really it was around in like hacker communities and like tech communities. 93, it just bursts onto the scene and now everyone can use it. And now, of course, all these new questions are being asked. What does it mean that I can communicate with someone all across the world in one moment forever? What does it mean to have something like the internet? Again, here's the principle tonight that we see stretching all the way back through history. It's this one, that new technology always creates new questions for followers of Jesus. New technology creates new questions. This isn't something new to our age. It isn't something unique to you. Sometimes we like to pretend that we live in the most complicated and difficult time ever. And the actual answer is no, you don't stop whining. That's the answer. <laughs> Throughout all of human history, people have had to deal with this question. All right, this has been given to us. What do we do with it? So the year was 2007. 
And this like super smart, geeky, wild man named Steve Jobs gets up on a stage and presents the world with the iPhone. And the iPhone kicks off the whole smartphone revolution. Whether you have an iPhone, an Android, or something totally different, it changes the way we do life. It changes technology. It changes what you walk around with. It changes everything about your world. And here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to recognize that the phone might not seem new to you, but the phone in the scope of human history, in the scope of church history, is like five seconds old. And so it might be wise for us to do this, that we must, we must in this room ask honest questions about the role our phone plays in our life. Tonight, I want to, in light of the scripture, in light of 1 Corinthians 10, ask you some honest questions about the way you handle your phone and the role it plays in your life. Like I could give you the data, right? Like that's easy to look up. You know what the crazy one was? That when the average, like the average person, they actually measure this and test this, touches their phone 2,617 times per day. 2,600 times per day, you touch your phone. Like you move it around, you touch it in your pocket, you feel for it, you check it, you look at it, you check the time 2,600 times. And let's say you think that's wild and crazy. You're like, there's no way I touch it that much. Let's say you think you only touch your phone 10% of what the rest of the population touches your phone at. That's 260 times a day. Could you imagine if you were hanging out with your house on a Saturday and the door knocked and you're like, and you go on, you check the door and someone's like, hey, can we sell you something? You're like, no, no, I'm good. You go back to your couch and 259 more times that day, someone knocks on your door. You would think about moving, right? Like, again, yet we all put up with this in our pocket every day. We're like, no, it's totally acceptable that thousands of times per day, I check this thing. So, see, I could give you the data. I give you the data on screen time, which like doesn't even make sense because like the data is an aggregate of everyone. And they say three hours and 14 minutes is the average. And some of you are like, that's crazy. And some of you are like, yeah, that's crazy. How do you get it that low, right? Like, you know, like, you know, kind of how it all works. But here's what I know. I don't have to convince this room the phone's a problem, right? Like literally before this sermon, I turned off my phone because like, I'm preaching on the phone. Let me turn it off, right? I turned off my phone and like three minutes later, I needed to do some quick division and I forgot how to divide things without the phone, <laughs> right? I was like, oh, what do I do? So I turned the phone back on to get the calculator. Like, I don't even know how to divide things anymore. And we all know how this works, right? The phone has just become like such a part of us. Like you ever left your phone at home or in your car accidentally and you like go somewhere, you feel like you went without pants. Like it's like, you feel like you've left your shoes behind. You're like, how do I function? How do I drive places? Like none of us have any idea how to get anywhere. Like we do this thing where the phone has become such a part of our life, like so built together with us that we can't even imagine life without it. Like just a couple of weeks ago, I was up at Hume like, Christian camps up in the mountain. And uh, up there, one of the beautiful things about being up there is there's no cell phone coverage. And so it's this beautiful thing that you walk around and you're like actually not getting these buzzes all days. But then you get, and they've actually studied this, it's called like phantom buzzes, right? Like your phone, you feel like it's buzzing and you check and you're like, it's nothing, right? Like this is how hooked we are on this. And again, I just don't think I have to convince this room of how often we use our phones and how much it's become just an it, it, like inescapable part of our lives. But then here's the other thing. I don't think I have to convince you the problems that's created in your life. Like, I don't have to convince you that you've been hanging out with friends at times and they've been on your phone and you've been hurt and offended. 
I don't have to convince you that you've been hanging out with your friends and you've been on your phone and they've been hurt or offended. And if you're like, no one has ever been offended with my phone use, you are too ignorant to know they've been hurt by your phone use. Like people around you are hurt. You're hurt. You stay up too late. The backlight on your phone keeps you from sleeping properly. Like we all get that it's hurting us. It's hurting our memory, our ability to think critically. It's taking our time up. Like like at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, and I don't know why it gives it to me at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. Maybe you get it that time too. But I get my screen report for the week. And it's usually a very discouraging moment. And the great thing is, no, it really is. And, and, and I go to the nine o'clock service at Calvary with my family. And so I'm sitting there. It's usually like 930, like the sermon's starting. And I'm like seated to be like, get the word of God. And then it's like seven hours. I'm like, come on. But here's what we know. It's taking up our lives. It's destroying our relationships. Like there's wonderful blessings and amazing things your phone does. It gets you places. It helps you do like division. Um, like it helps you do all of these things. And yet here's, if we're just honest, we know like our phone is having an impact on our lives and not all of those impacts are good impacts. And tonight I want to take that a step further for you and make sure we're all clear on this question. I want to ask it this way. Are you aware of how your attention to your phone has impacted your affection for God? Tonight, that's the question we're going to dig underneath. Because if it was just we spend too much time on this device and not other things, and it didn't impact our relationship with God, I don't know that I'd be preaching on this. But tonight I'm coming to you with a burden, and that burden is that this device is actually impacting my relationship with the God of the universe. And so tonight, I want us to see what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians, because I think it's going to bless us, I think it's going to encourage us, I think it's going to challenge us. And my real hope is this, I think it's going to set our affection and our attention on God. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin at verse 23. If you have your Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says this. Paul is quoting the Corinthians. He says in quotes, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So apparently in the Corinthian church, there was this phrase, and the phrase is, I have the right to do anything which was basically like their way of saying like, don't judge me. You do you, I'll do me. Don't get up in my face. Let me do my thing. I'm living my life. You live yours. And Paul's going to jump in and he's going to say, yeah, 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 that's your phrase. But I need you to know, even if you have the right to do something, it doesn't mean it's beneficial. Even if you have the right to do it, it doesn't mean it's constructive. And here's what Paul's doing. And here's what I think we need to recognize first and foremost tonight. Paul understands something really profound about what it means to follow after Jesus. And what he understands is this is that the immature way of following Jesus and the immature way of doing faith in God is to think there's only two categories in the world. There's sinful, bad, wicked, evil things, and then there's good, righteous, holy, wonderful things. And in every conversation, the question is, is this sin or is this good? Is this wicked or is it not? Which is it? And here's what most of us do. When it comes to matters of life and morality, and ethics, how we treat each other, how we behave, how we go through the day. When we are immature in our faith, we're constantly looking for, is this right, wrong, good, bad, wicked, not wicked? But I want to suggest to you that not everything falls in the category of right and wrong, wicked and not wicked. That there is a sin and not sin category, but there's also a wisdom and foolishness category. And that is why when Paul says, I have the right to do everything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. What he is trying to do is break you out of the binary of whether or not what you're doing is right or wrong and ask you if it's wise. Like, let me put it to you this way. Sometimes the issue with our phones, like we're talking about our phones tonight, sometimes the issue is an issue of sin, right? If you are looking at pornography on your phone, it's a sin issue. If you are bullying someone on social media or harassing someone, it's a sin issue. 
If you are lying to someone as you're talking to them on the phone or texting them, that is a sin issue. And that's obvious. You didn't need me to get up here and be like, don't do bad things on your phone, right? You knew that. But here's what it is. Sometimes the issue is a matter of sin, but most of the time the issue with our phone is a matter of wisdom. Like there's no verse for it. There's no clear command of scripture. Like here, get this. Every night I go home, uh, I leave this place around five o'clock. I drive back to my house, 525, 530, I walk in the door. My children see me, they rush to the door. They wanna play with me. They wanna play chase. They wanna wrestle on the floor. They wanna play. I want you to imagine it's 542 and my phone starts ringing and it's someone here from work. And I know why they're calling and I know it's just a really quick question and I know I could answer it really quickly and my children wanna play with me, but I know this person needs my help. Do I pick up the phone? And here's the truth. There's no verse on that, right? This isn't a sin or not sin issue. This is a wisdom issue. Like I'll give you another one. I'm a married man. Is there a certain time at night where I should probably stop texting women who are not my wife? Is there a certain time of the evening I should probably just say, hey, listen, this is better for the morning. We probably shouldn't be texting into the late night hours. There's no verse on that, but it's a wisdom issue. Like all of these things we're talking tonight are wisdom issues. They're issues of, okay, what do we do with this very complicated situation that the Bible doesn't have a direct verse on? Like you're hanging out with your friends and you're all sitting around a dinner table at a restaurant. Do you put your phone on the table? Like, do you do that? Or do you, you're like, I'm very respectful. I always put it face down on the table, right? Like, that's what, that's what I do. I'm a respectful woman. I'm a respectful man, right? Like, do you do that? Like, that's not, there's no verse on that. That's just a wisdom issue. You're hanging out with your friend and another friend texts you something like juicy and interesting. You're like, oh, no way, right? Do you respond right then or do you not? See, almost all the issues with your phone that get you into trouble are wisdom issues, not sin issues. Like, I know some of you get into sin issues with your phone, but I think the complicated, sticky part of modern life are wisdom issues. And here's the question for you tonight. How do you get wisdom on how to deal with your phone? Like, how do you get wisdom on how to deal with these really complicated issues in life? And here's the beautiful thing. The Bible gives you a literal word-for-word -word answer to that question. Here's what it says in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's like my favorite promise in the Bible. It's like, do you not know what to do in any moment of your life? Super simple. Just ask God. He'll tell you what to do. Like, this is a beautiful thing. If you don't know how to handle a situation, if you're not sure how to handle this thing, you're like, it's not sin, but I'm pretty sure it's not good, and I'm not sure how to handle it, you ask God, and he'll give it to you generously without finding fault. So here's a question I just want to ask for each of you tonight. When's the last time you asked God for wisdom on how to use your phone? When's the last time? And if you're anything like me, the answer is never. Now, this answer is not actually never because I wrote this on Tuesday. And I was like, I should pray this prayer, right? <laughs> but, but I mean that, like, I, I'm so embarrassed of that. I was so embarrassed that this phone is like this thing that dominates my life, but I've never been like, God, I just need wisdom on how to use this well. Wisdom with my kids and with my wife and with my family and with my work. And how do I use this? And how do I not get sucked into it, but use it as a tool? Like, I've just never asked God for wisdom. And that's so embarrassing, because I've given God every other part of my life. I'm like, you can have my schedule and you can have my money. You can have my family. You can have my gifts and body and everything. God, it's yours, except for the phone. That's mine. I get to keep this. God, you get everything. I get this. Okay, that's the rule, right? Like, I've never actually asked God for wisdom. And here's my guess. Like, I'm sharing this because I don't want to shame you. I just guess almost none of you have either. Because again, we just kind of walked through this way thinking like, I got this thing on my own. I don't need to pray about my phone. That's not a spiritual issue. You ever done that? You ever put something in the not spiritual bucket so God doesn't get to touch it? 
That's what I like to do. I like to be like, this isn't a spiritual issue, God. This is between me and my technology, right? No, this is a spiritual issue. It's impacting your relationship with God. You ask him for wisdom about it. I think some of you, before your head hits the pillow tonight, need to take your phone, throw it to the other side of the room, hit your knees, and ask God for wisdom on how to use this thing properly. It goes on this way in verse 24. It says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, I love this verse, because here's what Paul has in mind. Paul says, listen, I think some of you think the only issue is, is it right, wrong, good, bad, is it sin or not? And so you're always trying to figure out if something is moral or immoral. But Paul's actually going to take it to a totally different level here. He's going to say this isn't the only dimension. The only dimension isn't, is it good for you or bad for you or right or wrong? The other dimension to look at is, is it helping you serve the good of others? Like that's the question Paul wants to ask. Paul's going to go, listen, are you using everything in your life? Are you using the things you have? Are you operating in this world in such a way that you are laboring for the good of others? Like, let me frame it this way for you tonight. Um, Here's a good question. Here's a good question. How much screen time is too much time? That's a really good question. And I don't have an answer for you, but I just know we should be tracking that. So like 9.30 Sunday mornings when I get my little alert and I'm like, oh no, like I shouldn't just be like, well, it is what it is, right? Like I should actually like work toward that. Like I had a buddy for a while who said my goal is less than an hour a day of screen time. And I tried that and it did not go well. You know what I found myself doing? I found myself like on my laptop doing all the things I would have done on my phone to like game the system, right? That didn't work. I was like driving places, like closing the maps thing. Like I don't want to use screen time on this, right? Like, like, but, but like, that's not the point. Like how much screen time is, too? it's a good question. And if the answer is it keeps increasing for you every year of your life, it's probably something to address. Here's a better question. How much of my screen time benefits others? That's a better question. So here's what I want to observe tonight. Here's how you answer that question, by the way. There's really only two things you do on your phone. Really only two things we do with this device. You consume things and you create things, right? Like you consume news, you consume social media, Netflix, Hulu, Twitter, you're scrolling through the news, you're just going through, you're consuming information. You consume things, and the second thing you do on your phone is you create things. You call someone and have a conversation, you create a moment, you text someone, you create a text message, you create a post or a video, you send something out into the world. And here's my observation between consuming and creating on this device. When we consume on our phone, it rarely blesses others. It just rarely does, right? Like you watching two hours of YouTube videos does not bless the world. You like scrolling through social media and going to the explore page and going way down a rabbit hole does not bless the world. It just doesn't. And you know, now I say rarely, right? Because there's some exceptions, right? If I read my Bible app and I'm charged up for the day and ready to love people, okay, it's a blessing. If I listen to worship music, there are ways it can be a blessing. I'm not saying everything you consume on your phone is bad. I'm just saying it's rarely a blessing. But then think of the other side. When we create on our phone, it's often a blessing to others. Like when you pick up your phone and call your mother, which some of you need to do this weekend because you haven't done in a while. I always throw that in. Um, like, like when you do that, it's a blessing. When you send a text message to someone saying, hey, I haven't told you this in a while. I'm just grateful for our friendship and grateful God brought you in my life. That's a blessing. When you put a post out into the world, that's just encouraging. It doesn't even have to be like the most explicitly Jesus post, which you should do. But like, it doesn't even have to be that. It can just be an encouragement. Like, hey, here's the world, right? It blesses people. And here's Paul's rubric. Paul is not just saying what's right, wrong, good, bad. He's going, what blesses others? We should not seek our own good, but rather the good of others. Man, if that was like tattooed on the back of your phone, I should not use this device to seek my own good, but for the good of others. Like, how would that change the way you use it? Again, the right question is, is my phone a blessing to others? 
Verse 25, he goes this way. He says this. He says, anything sold in the meat market without ra- or eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, excuse me, what? We're talking about meat markets now? Like, how did this get into the conversation? But here's what I want you to know. In the early church, in the first century, right after Jesus dies and the church is launched, there's this amazing thing where they're having to come up against a very real reality in their world. And here's the reality. You have all these pagan gods all over the place. And in all of these temples, what they would do is they bring in a cow and they would sacrifice the cow. And that's about as far as most of us have thought about animal sacrifice. But here's what you need to know in the ancient world. They didn't just like take the cow and like throw it in a pile and be like, I'm sorry. You know, like they cut it up and then they'd go sell it in the market and that money would fund the temple. So that's how they did things. They would sell these meat sacrificed to idols in the market. And so for Christians, there was this big complication because Jesus died for our sins. All of those idols are useless. All of those sacrifices mean nothing because Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. It is finished. That is the gospel, right? Just in case you're not clear on that. The whole Christian story is Jesus died for your sins already. But now these Christians are going, whoa, whoa. So are we allowed to eat this meat? Because it was sacrificed to that wooden idol over there. So am I supposed to eat this? And Paul's going to give an answer to that question. He says, eat anything sold in the meat market. So if there's a nice steak or some burgers being sold and it was sacrificed to an idol, go for it. Why? He gives a reason. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In other words, you can eat that cow because God made the cow. God owns the cow. God also owns the wooden idol that it was sacrificed to. The earth belongs to God. He created it and everything's his. So here's the immediate principle Paul is trying to make. You can eat anything sacrificed to idols because God owns all of it anyway. So this is what he's trying to say. You can eat the meat sacrificed idols. It's no big deal because God owns it. But then what's the universal principle that because God owns this, it's this. The universal principle is you can use the things of this world because God owns everything anyway. So what point am I trying to make? In the ancient world is, should I eat the meat offered and sacrificed to idol? In the modern world, here's the question Christians might ask. Okay, my phone's a mess. It's causing problems. Everyone knows it. Should I even use devices like this? And some Christians default to, no, get a pad and a paper and a rotary phone, you sinner, right? That's what they get to. And they're like, what we got to do is get rid of these devices so that we can do something else. But here's what I want you to know. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Meaning this iPhone belongs to God. He owns every part of it. He owns all of your phones. Sorry, you don't own it. You're just renting it for a while, okay? You get it for a little while and someday it will be gone and God still owns it. Listen, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Here's what that means for us. That when we look around the things of this world, we need to say our job isn't to run from everything of this world. In fact, we can embrace some things of this world. We can say, I'm not going to fear everything of this world. Let me put it this way. Listen, Christians are not anti-technology. We're not. Like if you hear me up here tonight, you're like, Brian's trying to say technology's bad and it's ruining everything. I'm not. I'm not saying it. I have no intention of getting rid of my phone. I have no intention of saying like, this is gone. I'll just go back to like sending letters all the time. Like that's not my plan. But I do want you to know this. We are not anti-technology. Christians are pro-honesty about technology. We're pro-honesty. And if you are not pro-honesty about what this is actually doing to your life, to your time, to your attention, to your friendships, to your family, if you are not honest about this, it is owning you without you knowing it. So here's the question I want to ask tonight. Are you aware of your phone's relentless demand for your attention? Are you aware of just how often this thing is calling after you over and over and over again? Because Paul is going to say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including this phone. But listen, that does not mean it is beneficial to you. Let me show you how it goes on this way. 
Verse 27, it says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this meat has been, or this has been sacrificed to an idol, then don't eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom by being judged by another person's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So it just got complicated, right? Because here's what the question was. All right, if I'm like Brian Howard Christian walking through a meat market and I'm buying like a T-bone steak, I'm like, oh, is this sacrifice to an idol? They're like, absolutely. I'm like, mm, doesn't matter. I'm barbecuing this tonight, right? I can take it. I can eat it. No problems. But let's say my pagan friend named Brian Williams, for example, I'm just making a name up. Okay, let's say my pagan friend Brian has me over for dinner and I sit down at Brian's table and he says, would you like a hamburger? I'm like, sure, bring it over. He goes, great, here it is. It was sacrificed this morning to my idol over there. Now, here's what Paul's saying. Should I eat the hamburger? And you know what Paul's answer is? No, I shouldn't eat the hamburger. Like I shouldn't eat the hamburger that's put before me when someone who is not a Christian puts it in front of me and says it was sacrificed to an idol. Now why? Because now I'm sending a confusing message to this person. Because now I'm telling that person the food that was sacrificed to your idol, I receive that as an act of worship to your God. So here's what's bizarre about what Paul's saying. In some contexts, you eating the meat sacrificed to idols is no big deal, eat it, God owns everything. And in other contexts, it's a big deal, don't eat it. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't give you this black and white, easy decision in the world? He actually asks you to think about the context you're in because here's what he knows and here's what you need to know. Your, con your context should shape your conduct. Like the context you are in should shape your conduct. And when you are in certain contexts, you need to think about your conduct. So imagine me sitting on my couch alone and all of my family is off doing something else and I'm just hanging out there and I'm on my phone. Probably not an issue. Could be an issue, probably not an issue. Imagine I'm sitting at that same couch and my three children are clamoring for my attention and want me to play with them and I am on my phone. Completely different context. In one instance, it's totally fine. In the other instance, it might actually be sin in my life, what I'm doing. So here's what I need us to know. Like our context, where we are, what we're doing, who we're around should shape the actual conduct of our lives when it comes to our phones. You shouldn't just go, well, it shouldn't matter if I'm on my phone in this minute. It does matter who you're around. Like, here's what I want to say. If you're sitting in church and you're sitting next to someone who you know will be distracted, if you're scrolling through Instagram right now, you should turn your phone off during church. And someone else who has their Bible app open on their phone and it's no big deal and they know that they're fine and they're not distracting others should have their phone on and I have no problem with that sounding like a contradiction. Because here's what Paul says. Like, your context, the actual context of your life, it should shape your conduct. That is what Paul is trying to teach here. And here's the question I have for you tonight. Do you have any contextual rules you choose to follow with your phone? When I say choose to follow, I'm just saying, are there any things that you just choose to do? Like when I'm in this circumstance, I don't use my phone. When I'm in that circumstance, I don't go on my phone. When I'm having coffee one-on-one -on -one with someone, I turn my phone off or I put it in airplane mode because I need to be locked in with them. Like I've made some rules in my life. Like when I write sermons, I actually had to do this. I went and bought a little jail, like a lockbox for my phone where you can set, today I put it in there and I set it for four hours. I took my phone in there and it locks it away. It's like, you can't open it at all. And so I'm like, it's gone, can't touch it, right? It was a rule. No one told me to do that. It's not like my boss was like, excuse me, Brian, I need you to buy a jail for your phone, right? That didn't happen. I chose that. Why, Why did I choose that? Because in certain contexts, my phone is actually gonna pull away from my capacity to deliver sermons that are from God's word that encourages saints. 
So I made that choice for myself. Like I made a choice for myself that from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. when I wake up my kids in the morning and I'm doing breakfast for them and I'm hanging out with them, I decide my phone goes in a different room because I'm just not strong enough to not look at it. I just wish I could tell you I was. I wish I could tell you it was like buzzing in my pocket. I'm like, whatever, I'm with the kids. No, I'm not. And so here's what I have to do. I have to create arbitrary rules in my life that keep me from going into my phone when I don't need to be. So again, this is my question for you. Like, have you created any lines, any rules And listen, next week, we're going to get far more into like the practicality of how we think through this. We're going to look at Romans 12, too, that says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't be just like everyone else. Have different ways of approaching technology. But my question for you is this. Have you created any rules for different contexts of your life? When you're hanging out with your mom, when you're with your girlfriend or boyfriend, when you're at church, when you're in small group, when you're going for a walk, do you take your phone everywhere with you? Do you ever leave it behind? Do you ever decide to just go sit somewhere without your phone and just be free for a little bit? Every time you go to the grocery store and you're standing in line and you have to wait for 8.4 seconds, do you pull it out? Like, like, do you ever just take a break? And that's the question I want to ask. And here's where we'll end tonight, verse 31. Uh, It says this. This is where Paul famously says these words. He says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So like if you're gonna eat meat sacrificed to idols or not, go ahead and do that, but do it to the glory of God. If you're gonna drink whatever you're gonna drink, just do it to the glory of God. Live your life so you're living to the glory of God. And then it says this, whatever you do. So like eating, drinking, and every other thing you do in life, do it to the glory of God. And I appreciate that eating and drinking have their own categories because most of my life I'm eating or drinking something, okay? Eat, drink, or whatever you do. And then what does it say? Do it all to the glory of God, to God's praise, to God's honor, to God's glory. And here's what I want to ask tonight as we close. What does that mean in practice? Because again, saying like, live to God's glory. is like, amen, we should do that. What does that mean? And here's what that means. Like, like let me give you this metaphor. I want to show you perhaps the most famous painting in the world. Uh, and that's this lady right here, um, the Mona Lisa. And um, I know very little about art or the Mona Lisa, um, but I have seen it. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, I studied abroad in Europe and got to go to Paris for a little bit. And we went to the Louvre and saw it. Let me ask, who, who here has been to the Louvre and seen the Mona Lisa live? Okay, so for those of you who have seen it live, you'll, you'll know the image I'm about to show you. Uh, the Mona Lisa is not like, oh, it's the Mona Lisa. Like, how sweet and lovely. Like, this is what it's like to see the Mona Lisa uh, at the Louvre. I'll show you this picture right here. <laughs> it's nuts, right? Like, I have it in this big room, and it's like every person who's in Paris is like, we're here today, right? And you're trying to take a picture so you can post a lousy picture of the great picture in the world, right? You're, you're trying to do all of that, but that's what it looks like in the Louvre. And then here's what I did when I saw this picture. (laughs) This is so nerdy. I went and counted all the other paintings in the picture. Do you know that there are 12 other paintings in the picture? Do you know that there are 12 other little paintings all around here? These epic, majestic paintings. 12 other paintings, and no one in this room knows a single one of their names. And you know why you don't know the names of any of these paintings? Because nobody pays attention to them. Nobody pays attention to them. No one looks at them. No one cares about them. And here's what you need to know about God, that you will bring glory to what you pay attention to. That is what your life will glorify. Your life will glorify and honor and make known the name of anything you pay attention to. And so if what you pay attention to above all else is your physical appearance, whether it be your body or your clothes or your shoes, that's what you will bring glory to. If what you think about and pay attention to is your wealth and your money and your possessions, you will bring glory to that. If what you think about is your platform and your fame and how well you're known and liked, that is what you will bring glory to. 
Listen, what if you think about constantly this device and you're constantly looking at it without any checks in your life at all? You, even if you do not wish to, will bring glory to this. And if you set your eyes and affection and heart on the God of the universe, you will bring glory to him. So you bring glory to whatever you pay attention to, whatever you're obsessed with, whatever your eyes are set on. And tonight, this is why we have to talk about your phone. See, again, for some of you, there's just like your phone sits in this unspiritual bucket. And you're like, I'd rather you go talk about like deep theology. And I'm going like, I can't get to deep theology if your eyes are so set on this thing that you can't look at that one. I can't get to that. We need to get our eyes off of these things so that we can know who God is and set our eyes and affection on him. So here's my deep burden and the reason I think this series is so important, that your phone, your phone is the chief competitor to your heart, to your God, for your affection and your attention. Your phone is the chief competitor. Your phone is the one that is after. Your phone is the one that keeps you from God. Your phone is the one who is constantly coming after you. Like, I just think of your phone as the chief competitor with God in your life. And here's the question I just want to ask. Which one's winning right now? Like, which one's winning? Like, which one is actually winning? Which one is actually getting your attention? Because whatever has your attention will eventually have your affection and will always have your glory. Like tonight, my goal isn't to shame you. I've sat up here and shared tonight how awful I am with my phone, how much I stumble and fall and how addicted I can be to it. But I just want to be the first one to stand up here tonight and say, this thing does not get more attention in my life than God. I want God to get my attention. I want God to get my affection. I want this thing to have its rightful place in my life. And too often, more often than I'd like to say, my phone is winning. And I want to repent of that publicly before you. And I want to invite some of you to do that tonight. Our band's going to make their way up right now. Uh, I want to share you, uh, with you um, just a final thought. Um, Corey Asbury, a number of years ago, put this out on social media, and it's haunted me ever since, and I hope it haunts some of you. He says this. He says, I want to reach for God the way I reach for my phone. When I'm bored, when I'm uncomfortable, when I need answers or entertainment, when I'm lonely and need someone to talk to, help me, God. That's just haunted me for years now. Like how often I'm just kind of like bored or there's a moment or I don't know what to do or I'm at a party, I'm uncomfortable or I'm in some social function and no one's talking to me or I don't know what to say so I reach for my phone or I pretend I have something to do. Like I want to reach for God that way. I want to have that instinctual thing. Like when I get up in the morning, I don't want to be like, I wonder what I missed last night. I want to be like God in heaven, meet me this morning with your fresh mercies. That's what I want to be. And that's not what I am all of the time, but it is what I desire and it is what I long for. And here's what the phone does. The phone is going to show us something about ourselves. So here's my contention tonight. The phone does not create our lack of attention to God. So often we can demonize this thing and be like, well, if I just got rid of this, then it would be no problem. What I want to submit to you tonight is this, that our phones expose our lack of attention to God. Our phones expose the fact that we never wanted to reach for God in the first place. And may that never be the case. So our band is going to play right now, and they're going to lead us in um, some worship to close out the night. Um, and here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to invite you to come back next week. Next week, we're going to get into some practical nitty-gritty of how we don't conform to the patterns of this world when it comes to our phone. If you're going, okay, give me some practical, that's next week. But tonight is not the practical side. Tonight is the affection and attention side where I want you in this next song of worship to set your heart and your affection and your attention on God. I think literally some of you, before you stand up to sing, need to turn your phone off. And keep it off till you get to your car tonight. You don't need it. 
I think some of you need to go repent before God and say, you know what, God, I've been so into my phone. I spend so many hours on my phone and then I pretend I don't have time to pray. And so I just want to invite you tonight to turn your heart and your affection, your attention to God. What do you do with a message like this? You turn your attention to God because whatever gets your attention will get your glory. And this needs to be a house where God is glorified above all, where this is a good and helpful blessing at times, but it is not the thing that has the affection and attention of our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the opportunity to look at your word. Thanks for the challenge of 1 Corinthians 10 and what Paul has to say. God, I pray for each of us that our attention would be set on you. Maybe even right now, if we just not focused on you for a long time, that this next song would just be an opportunity for us to look to you like never before. So God, I pray our attention would be on you. I pray that affection would stir up within us. God, may nothing in this world, not even our phones, stand between us and the affection and attention you deserve in this world. God, and whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, may the glory be yours and yours alone. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said real loud.